I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind, and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know, the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, they used to bowl a kaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest. You guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room, where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, Chris? Wakanda, Wakanda forever. forever. See how cool we are, Doug? You're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Lisa Bolacaja is out today, but of course, we got my man in the house, Chris Derrick. What's up, man? The OG, the pimp dog. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, Chris? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing good. I mean, yeah. this is like a crazy. This, this, this is this, the last two weeks is crazy. Since we last recorded, it's crazy, right. and even this weekend is crazy. Right. I have to do so many things this weekend that I don't. I, I the friends of mine is in town, you know, that I got to see, and, and and Erica Watson's thing is tomorrow night, yeah. all this kind of stuff. But I really want to do some writing. I was going to ask you, are you yeah, going to that? Yeah, good. I, okay, I, good. I just well, because it's, it's right by my house, so right. it's not it's not going to kill me, because right. um, I'm being killed right now with the, all the projects I'm working on, and um, it's just it's just I think that's a, the, the the one thing that I have been good at. And I had to really get good at this. I think this is a lesson for most, for a lot of people who want to write and stuff like that is, how do you manage your time with, oh, a lot, God, yeah. you know, if you have a lot of projects to right. do and that you want to do? Yeah. Um, and I got people asking me for stuff and I mean, I got a, I got a meeting today at 12 mm-hmm. about a pitch for a TV pitch. It's just a <laughs> lot. It's just like, you know, keeping everything really properly organized has been, um, the last month has been actually good for me because I was, you know, kind of in the minefield for the last most of the year, but yeah. so. It's, but it's, 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 I'm excited. Oh, that's real. I'm that's excited. Real but, I mean, uh, I, I know we've, we've had many, um, uh, episodes where we cover this, but we haven't really just like done a whole episode. episode where we talk, so that's something maybe yeah, we, we need you to talk look about, into yeah, about yeah. managing, managing your time even more. That's, that's, that's well, you know, cause my thing now is, you know, I spend all this time, you know, go, going to work and I have to bring Doug yeah, back to talk about yeah, that. Well, yeah. Um, and, <laughs> uh, uh, so, I've just I've come up with this strategy of like how to write on the train and mm. and and how to like get and spend like folk just you know I folk I spend about maybe five minutes just trying to focus on the mm. train and then I'm there and then I'll write for like half hour on the train and it's been great for me just okay. to get material done I'm just like sure. scribbling and scribbling and you scribbling. can get a lot of work done in thirty yeah. minutes can't yeah. you well, if you if you can build up if you can build up through those places where you're in the shower, where you're traveling, where you're at work and you're <clears> thinking about stuff, and you can use that 30 minutes mm-hmm. as an explosive burst of creativity, you can get a lot done. Because right. the actual time that it takes to, to type a screenplay, <laughs> right. you, could, you could type out a screenplay in 48 hours. Absolutely. Right? I've done it. You so, can. Absolutely. So the writing is not actually the <clears throat> physical impacting of the fingers on the right. keyboard. The writing is all of the uh, mental prep and mm-hmm. creative prep so that you can get in a space where you can just unload. Right. I mean, 
when I wrote Akeel and the Bee, that movie was entirely written between the hours of 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. Really? Night. Mm. Yeah, but also because I like that time anyway. Okay. Now I've got a. Oh, you're a nighttime guy. Yeah, I got a three year old now, so it doesn't really work. But <laughs> but when I wrote that, I was working, I was doing other things, and I, it was entirely nighttime writing, which was a super creative time for me, and it was a very intense period of writing. I wrote the first draft of that in about a month. So, right. but but that came after four years of thinking about, about it before <laughs> yeah. I wrote anything yeah. down. So it was right. ready to be born. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Totally with that. Totally with that. So check it out, guys. If you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get to the show. So as you hear his voice, talk about the OG. Look, Doug Atchison in the house of pimp, dog. I know, man. I know. I'm excited he's on the show. I'm really excited. Exactly, exactly. And you guys know him, writer, producer, director himself. How you doing, Doug? Welcome to the show, I'm doing great. Good man. morning. Thank you for doing it this hey, morning. Hey, man. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. You family, though, so it's all good. Um, like I said, welcome to the show. Um, I was going to say... So I, I got a cool chance to interview Doug the other day at the Writers Guild Theater. We we um I moderated for his uh, new new film new film Brian Banks, which everybody needs to go see. I'm telling y'all August 9th. August 9th, which is what's it only in theaters. What's it the third? Today's the third. This okay. is this is coming out on Monday, so yeah. it's it's next, it's Friday. next Friday. So don't. Slip. Go next Friday. Go next Saturday. Exactly. Buy your tickets early. Yeah, we want a $30 million opening, Gannon. You know, okay, buy your right? tickets early. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I just want to bring this up. You know, okay. it's the movie stars, Aldous Hodge. I remember Love that, I, when, I, when I went to see um, Jeff Thorne, who's a big fan of the show, been on the show, he did a, a, a play, a play oh, reading. Right. Aldous was in it. He, yeah, right. he was yeah. in it. And he mm. was saying that, you know, and, and Jeff worked with Aldous on Leverage. Right. And he's just saying that Aldous was looking to get into this space, to get mm-hmm. into like a, a more of a, of a leading man right. space in feature films. Mm-hmm. He was, you know. Yeah, he's he, on damn there every, you know, every page, it seems like. It's, it's called Brian Banks, and he is Brian Banks. <laughs> Brian Banks, <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, this, you know, I say this all the time. It's like the thing that a lot of people don't get about actors is if you're the lead of a movie, you got to really carry the movie because you might be, you might be in every scene. Right. And Brian is, and Aldous is in, I'd say like, what? Like 90, like 95 like percent of the screen. The only stuff he's not in is when you flash back to him as a little boy that's and true. the little boy that's is true. an eight year old yeah. actor that right. they cast and that's very brief. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's a point. couple little, well, there's a couple scenes with Greg on his Yeah. A couple, yeah, a couple yeah, scenes with yeah, Greg on his Yeah. 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 And he's talking with his, uh, his yeah, team. Right, right, but that's maybe, 10 yeah. pages? Yeah. Maybe 10 yeah. pages? Yeah. Right. So it's all him. Right. And it's like, I, I, and Jefferson, and this is before City in the Hill came out. I think City, they were still shooting City in the Hill when I was, we were talking with Jeff. Right. This was last year. Mm-hmm. And Jeff was like, he is so ready to explode and right. break out and be this big right. star. And this movie, like you, you see. You knew it in Underground, too. You knew he was. Yeah. He came he on his way. He was waiting. <laughs> he was waiting to explode. And, you and, he, knew it. and here yeah, it is now. Really he and I are uh, going to do another movie together, too. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So because we actually didn't meet until the LA Film Festival. Really? Right. So because I, I didn't direct Crazy. this, I wrote this and I consciously sort of stayed separate from the production because I thought it would be best for me to stay within my creative bubble. Right. And when they which, were, which was one of the questions I asked them about and starting to interrupt the duck yeah. was what makes you choose to direct or to write, you know, et cetera. So he was saying it was an assignment to just came to do something. Yeah, like so that. when I, I, you know, when I did Akeel and the Bee, I, I had people pursue me to be a director. I p- had people pursue me to be a writer. Mm-hmm. The stuff that I direct is generally self-generated. Okay. Things that I spent a long time trying to, to, and I also discovered when you get attached as a director, you don't get paid. 
You know, <laughs> you, 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 and I had this happen. You spend a year and a half helping develop the project. Right. The writer gets paid. Right. So I said, and then, 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 you know, because it's hard to get movies made, and the, right. particularly the kind of movies I make, which tend to be indie social justice movies, right. unique perspectives, right. unique right. characters that you're not used to seeing. Right. You know, I don't ever choose anything easy. I mean, a, a little girl in a spelling bee, and I, I had to convince people how, why that would be great. Right, um, and it was amazing. Amazing, <laughs> right? Yeah, but you know, you, right. I had nothing to point to. Exactly. I was like, show us another one. I, like, I well, there's a movie called Rocky. It's kind of similar, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. you know, <laughs> that's an old man, <laughs> old white guy. He's boxing. We know the boxing movie. You yeah. don't know this movie. <laughs> so, uh, so with this one, so I said to my agent, you know, soon after Akila just don't push me as a director I will come to you when I got something to direct mm. push me as a writer so I can make a living right. so you know since Akila and, and Brian Banks uh, you know I've written at least a dozen movies right. you know where there were you know jobs for hire and that was Akila and the B I'm sorry that was Brian Banks mm -hmm. so when they went to Memphis to shoot um, I stayed here and when they needed rewrites I just did it did from my here. apartment and emailed it uh, because that just felt like you know the right thing to do and right, just sort right. of stay out of the fray and just be focused and creative in my creative space and that worked so I didn't meet the cast mm. I didn't meet anybody I just knew the producers and the director and, and, and those folks so when I went to the LA Film Festival to see it for the first time mm. actually I had seen a screening about a month before that I didn't know what to expect and it was all intact it wasn't like a rough draft or a rough cut? It was, it was like 85%, 90% there. So some of the music probably wasn't... Yeah, and there were some scenes. They, they, they did some more editing. They moved things around. But it was, it was really close. And I was a little nervous going in because I didn't know what to expect. And so what I told Aldis when I met him was, I mean, you guys have seen the movie. There's some heavy scenes. And there's, yeah. some, there's some, I wouldn't call them speeches, but there's some, you know, Chunks of dialogue. There, there, I, call them, yeah, I call them. I call them amazing monologues. Oh, yeah. there's, 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 I mean, look. Yeah. I mean, like, I, like, I think people have the wrong idea about so-called speeches in movies. I agree. I, I think that it's a, it's a maybe a development thing that when you're in the industry, in the inside baseball thing of it is, you know, people don't like to read that. Right. But I know. If you write the good one, mm -hmm. the actors love it. Right. right. And what's his name is like uh, Aldis uh, has about twenty of them in the damn thing. Well, yeah. I mean, but but it's like you know, if you, if you go look at like a Sorkin script, right. it's like rife with like right. there's probably ten pages where Tarantino, all there's of them. someone speaking yeah. for the whole page. Right. And there's like I mean, there's a scene in this in the middle of the movie when he comes. I don't want to spoil too much, but there's like you know, like the big thing happens with the with, with he's trying to get with the, with the recording. Yeah. It doesn't work, and he goes to speak with. The, he goes to speak with Greg Kinnear yeah. and he gives that speech there and mm -hmm. like and well that's the one that's the one where when I wrote that I, I, again I'm in my creative space right. I'm feeling all the things that I uh, was feeling because of my interaction with Brian and what I had built up to this moment and I write this 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 chunk of thoughts, this chunk of feeling, this chunk of, of words that I was really feeling in the moment. You know the right. experience when you're writing and mm -hmm. you're getting very, very emotional mm -hmm. as you're doing it because you're just, you're in that vibe. Right. And then later when you read it and you're out of that space, you're going, yeah, this is what I want it to be, but mm -hmm. is this going to land right. the way I want it to? And it's really then comes down to the director and the actor, the actor and yeah. then connecting with it, in which case I was separate from that process. So as we got to that moment, I was like, well, here's the thing in my process that I knew was so... <laughs> so strong and so moving when I was thinking about Brian and, and who he is and what he was trying to do at that juncture to, to save himself and to mm. free himself. 
and Aldous delivered beyond what I imagined. Right. And I he, was I was watching it like an audience <laughs> member for the first time, and and more emotional than I think I'd been when I was writing it. And I saw him afterwards, hmm. and I said, "Man, I've been." Okay, so I saw that at the LA film. I saw that at a, at a pre-screening, and then at the LA Film Festival, mm. I saw him before it started, and I said, "Man, I've been waiting to meet you." Mm. And he said, "I've been waiting to meet you." Wow! Because <laughs> yeah, and when we talked about, <clears throat> you know, this this thing that connected us, which was, you know, but see, Brian, that, that's a fascinating thing to me. You know, we all do movies and TV, and people are always tripping on. I'm always fascinated that the outside world thinks that we all know each other. Like, if you made a movie, you probably already know Aldous, you already know Sherry, you already know, you know, I know Frank Kinnear, you know what I mean? But, yeah. like, you already know that's just like how they think in the world. They don't realize sometimes in situations like this, where in a lot of movies, you're really a pretty established writer, so more than likely you're going to be invited to the set. A lot of people aren't. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? So you go through that process where where you don't meet them until the screening. You get your little two tickets and you go to the screening, you know what I mean, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So it's fascinating to me that it was a choice for you, you know, to do that. Right. I mean, like, the, the producers just asked me, do you want to come out? And I said, no, I'm cool. I can, I can, I can do it here. And they, right. they're, they're like, fine, whatever works for you. Like, whatever works for you, and we'll, we'll call you when we need you. And, right. you know, I trusted Tom, and mm-hmm. he's great. And, and uh, Well, and, that's an interesting thing, too. Okay, because Tom <laughs> um, Shadiak, who directed this, I think he's he's so well known for comedies, yeah, right. and I and I think he's done one or two dramas before this. And when I saw his name on on this, I was like, "Oh, this is interesting." Because it, I, I thought the same thing. I was like, "Bruce this Almighty." Be, this like, be, <laughs> well, yeah, because I said to myself, "Okay, I can't remember the guy's name, but he did the Big Short and he did Vice." Um, mm-hmm. that, McKay, Adam McKay. Yeah, Adam McKay. Yeah. He's another comedy guy too because he's worked with. Uh, right. uh, I mean, I was, but there's something about about the Big Short when I saw that that I was like. Is he going to nail this because he's is 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 his tendency to be funny? Right. And I felt that in this when I saw and I saw Tom, I was like, okay, how's this going to play? And I was so interested in, in how this played, and it never veered into a moment where it got kind of I don't want to say cornball, but his perhaps his sensibilities as a comedy guy filtered in. And I mm. love the fact that he was able to to surprise me mm. constantly with the similar choices he made. So know? do you know do you know his story, what happened with Tom? I don't yeah. know his story. So so he, he did a documentary called I Am, which you may want to watch because okay. it's about what happened to him. He was on top of the world doing his, you know, comedies, doing his uh, very, very, very successful movies, okay. and he had a, 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 a terrible bike accident and a life-threatening concussion. Hmm. And he had to step out for a period of time for his own you know, health concerns. But he had a life reevaluation at that point hmm. about what he really wanted to do in his life and his career. And he took time off. He took about seven years off from the business, and he moved to Memphis, and he taught at a historically black college for the past right. seven years. And came back because he wanted to do movies like this, and he read my script, and he and he met with the producers. And is he blind? Mm-mm. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. And um, this this was what he wanted to do as his comeback film. And you know, I don't know what that process was; those conversations were. But you know, they said to me, "He's got the passion and the vision to do this." And you know, we met and we worked together, and it was mm-hmm. clear he was he was very connected to this. He had students that had gone through similar things. Mm. Uh, to what Brian went through <clears throat> and believes passionately in in the cause of social justice and, and trying to make things better. So yeah. this was 
you know, and you saw the movie. I mean, it's, 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 film genres or types of films that have kind of disappeared and that and you, and you gotta have the right story and the or the right like or and or the right cast that bring those back and mm-hmm. one of those was like the courtroom drama right you know and i was like okay so this kind of falls into that space of like i was it, this reminded me a little me, bit it's a little bit it's a little bit a little yeah. bit it's not, i mean i think people think courtroom drama is so much of like those films that in the in the mid 80s something yeah. you know uh like class action stuff like mm-hmm. that absence of malice absence of malice yeah but but this to, good man but this to me felt kind of like the verdict Mm. In a sense, because it's such a character study, and there's a little bit in the courtroom in the verdict, and there's, and there's a little yeah, bit in this. Okay. But I just was yeah. like, you know, there's that. I mean, there's a moment in this where I, as as much as I love Aldous Hodge, mm-hmm. I fell in love with him again in the moment when they do the plea, mm. yeah. and it's like the punch that he feels mm-hmm. in that moment. I felt that and I was like, Jesus Christ. And I was like, because that's that moment in the, in the, that's the reversal kind of thing in the courtroom drama that makes you go, Oh shit, that I think we've seen so much in these TV shows, but, but in the script and the way it happened and the the acting, it so carried it off. Cause to me, I'm thinking, Oh, he already got the point and some shit happened to him in jail. Mm -hmm. And that's why he was in jail longer. And I was like, Oh shit. It was, it was, it was well done. I love that part. So maybe we should talk just a little bit about what the premise of the film yeah, is. Yeah, I was so just about to say, say <laughs> <laughs> I literally, I literally was oh, yeah, saying, tell us what the hell Brian Banks is about, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> so, so Brian Banks is uh, a young man who, when he was 16 years old, had a bright future ahead of him. Mm-hmm. He was a star football player at Long Beach Polytech High School, which is a big you know, football program for high schools. He was much sought after by every college football program in the country, and he had a full ride to USC. Mm-hmm. This is when he was a sophomore. He had a full ride. Wow. Um, he, so it was his to lose at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he had a lot to lose, and he right. lost it for, mm-hmm. for a moment. Um, he and a classmate during summer school on a bathroom break hmm. snuck into a makeout spot in campus that everybody knew about. All the kids knew you could go in there and you know, sneak through this building, mm-hmm. tiptoe past all these open classrooms down into this stairwell, and it could make out. Okay, and well, the doors are wide open. And the doors are wide open. <laughs> yes. And, 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 to, and to walk down this hallway, as Brian describes it, you have to be ninja quiet because every <laughs> little squeak of the tennis shoe makes right. a noise in this So. You could not be forcibly dragged down this hallway as he was later accused of of doing. He was falsely accused of sexual assault, um, was facing 41 years to life in prison. And so what they do, this is how they, so the thing that you're talking about with the plea. So this is how the powers that be get a plea bargain out of somebody, is they take a crime, an alleged crime, and they divide it up into like 10 different crimes, mm-hmm. right? right? They'll go, okay, so... Like kidnapping. This, kidnapping, the, rape one, rape, rape two, two, sodomy. Yeah. So they, and then they assign what the maximum sentence could be for each of those and run them one after another, mm. right? So this thing that allegedly took place in 10 minutes, you're now facing 41 years to life in prison, and then they say to you, 
well, we'll knock off some of these charges mm -hmm. if you accept a plea bargain right. and uh, we'll give you anywhere from no time in prison to maybe six years in prison, mm -hmm. but you aren't going to go to jail for the rest of your life. Right. So Brian, who was 16, had been in prison then for eight months because they kept delaying his hearings. Uh is now ready to go to trial, <clears throat> and his lawyer came, and I'm not giving away too much in the movie. No, I mean, no, you can yeah, go yeah, online yeah, and you can just, read this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said to him, look, you're about to go out there and face that jury, and there's a whole lot of white people on that jury, and all they're going to see is a big black teenager accused of rape, and they're going to think you're guilty. Yeah. Or you can take this deal that's being offered to you and probably get to go home today. Right. Right? Because they're going to reduce most of these charges you don't have a prior record. And, and a minor. And, and you're, and you're, well, he was being charged as an adult at that point. We can mm -hmm. talk about how that came right. down, too. Brian said, well, can I talk to my mom? They said, no, you're being charged as an adult. you got 10 minutes to make a decision or the, the deal's off the table. So they exert maximum pressure on you mm -hmm. to take a deal because they don't want to go through the process, which is expensive, of going through a, a, a trial. Mm -hmm. So Brian, thinking he's going home that day, took the deal. And you saw what happened, and right. maybe the audience can go see what, right. what that turn looks like. Uh, but that is one of the central issues with the criminal justice system is that 97% of all cases plea out. Right. Yeah. And if you've got that kind of leverage to put on somebody as the state, you can basically extort guilty pleas from innocent people. And it's estimated that anywhere from, I don't know, like, Five to eight percent of these plea bargains come from innocent people who are worried about spending much, much, much more time in prison. Well, yeah, because the worst thing about it is, like you said, is it's that it's that it's like you are is that unless you have the money to get out on the bail, and most people who get arrested don't, then you're sitting in jail, you're sitting in the county waiting for your trial. And that's not a good place to be. You're losing and, your mind in yeah. the process. And, and overcrowded was, and just and, fights going on. And, you and know. I was thinking about how, like you were saying that they, they, they charge him as a, as an adult and he only gave him 10 minutes. So what we don't see is the pressure they put on you to plead. All we hear is that you plead. Right. So you go, well, he pleads. So he must be right. whatever they believe. Right. Right. And there was a presumption of guilt. From day one on this. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's why he was basically charged as an adult. I, I, so in doing the research for this movie, I had access to everything. I had um, hours and hours and hours of interview that I shot with Brian that I, right. that, that I videotaped and transcribed. I had interviews with Justin Brooks, the head of the California Innocence Project. I had Brian's entire case file. So I had every report, wow. every transcript. So if you look at the information, if you look at the uh, report that was done to determine whether he should be charged as an adult... Well, this was a psychological profile that was done of him by a psychologist. And if you read her conclusions, first of all, she, one of her conclusions was the crime was so heinous that it elevates it to the level of an adult crime. Well, that's, there's a presumption oh, there that a crime right. happened, first of all. Right. And then one of her points was he seems to be preoccupied with his own future and not the uh, emotional status of the victim herself. <laughs> well, that presumes she's the victim, but in this case, Brian was actually the, the, the victim. Yeah, but, so, but, but at the same time, you always concerned about your own future. If, if yeah. you're facing 41 years in jail, right. I'm, I'm pretty concerned about that. I, you know, I, I mean, it, you know, I, this is the thing about this movie that I, I really liked a lot is that, in the, you know, like ever since Trayvon Martin was killed, there's been a lot of these uh, 
these these black men being shot mm-hmm. that have made the news. Not that it doesn't happen all the time, but it's made the news nationally. I remember my entire know, life. I'm from the hood. It, well, you know, no, we just finally got them on tape. That's what I'm saying. That's, <laughs> what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. It made the news because this stuff happens all the time. I mean, mm. I, mean I I've seen it. Right. You know, it almost happened to me a couple of times. Um, is that is 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 that since then there's been some movies that have come out. Or some TV shows that have kind of like put the finger at this, the the justice system, right. and I think they've done it in a way that almost feels like like a shame, shame, shame kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie mm-hmm. doesn't do that. It's I mean, like it it tells you how bad it is, right. but and it's and it says, yeah, we got to make this changes for this, but it but it's not so heavy handed in a way that you feel kind of like put off by it. You know, right. in terms of like that tone, like you watch and you see this is so wrong. We have to, we, we, it's, it, it is charging you to make a call to action, right, right. but it's not like, but it's, it's not grabbing your hand to make you do that. Also, and that's what I think is, is really good about, thank you. Uh, good about this. Thank you. And, and let, let's just say for people that don't know Brian's story that it is, uh, incontrovertible that he was innocent. And we, and we know that because of what you see happens in the movie. There's no, grayness there. He was 100% innocent and, and we know that. And also know that the movie really doesn't focus on a, a, a false accusation of, of sexual violence. It's really mm-hmm. about the way the criminal justice system sees or, 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 does, totally. or doesn't see, see the humanity totally in a young right. black man. Totally and we actually deal within the body of the movie, and I said this to the producers before I got involved, that it's important to me that we have a character who was herself a victim of sexual violence and nobody believed her. Right. right? Because that was a great touch. Brian, yeah, Brian great finds touch. kinship in the the stories of other survivors and they uh, survivors reach out to him as a fellow survivor mm-hmm. so this is not about false accusations it is a it is really about had brian been a white kid this never would have been charged no. i mean there is a dna report that 100 percent undermines uh the accusation and that's a big big hole you could drive a truck through called reasonable doubt that, right. that no no prosecutor would have brought that mm-hmm. so um, really, it, every step of the way, Brian, the people just looked at Brian and presumed mm-hmm. guilt. Well, yeah, because he's because because he's a football player. <laughs> he's huge. Because because yeah. you know he. I mean, what he he's a linebacker, right? Is that what it is? Yeah, middle linebacker. Yeah. So he's mm-hmm. you know he's huge. He's probably what oh, six yeah. two, six three. One of the biggest six, guys on the three, field. Six, three, 200, 200, yeah. 250 pounds. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, I mean, look that. You know what? Which is funny because I know skinny Aldous, so to see Aldous all Aldous puffed out, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he got real big. He got yeah, bigger than this. But see, the thing is, if you're black, you're six or you're two fifty. That archetype has been painted by the media right. as being a criminal upfront. Mm-hmm. It's like that. There's that term they say. Who's saying this? Uh, Alan Dershowitz. He was like, "That's the criminal black man." Mm. You know, it's, it's like there's a freight that floats. It's not in any language, right. but it floats around the justice system about uh, that's how people per- perceive you. And it's like, and you have to do so much more battling to get to the stage of what the law says, which is, is innocent until proven guilty. Right. Right. And that's where he's not. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, you definitely, this, this is not the, okay, this guy was, like let's fight the charges of this let's fight the 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 the, the legal aspect of this it's such a human story mm-hmm. and what um, and the right. things that affect him and what he goes through are these all these great little human moments well what attracted know? me to this was when I started talking to Brian and we can maybe talk about mm-hmm. how that happened yeah. 
but was his because I want the writers to learn like how if they ever get a job like this like how do they do that you know for right. example well then let's back up let's, sure. let's, let's talk about how I got this gig okay. yeah yeah and, yeah and so to, to understand that you have to go back further to, mm-hmm. to another movie that I made which was uh, called Akeel and the Bee and that came about because which is one of my favorite scripts by the way thank you I love that script thank you uh, Kiki, he took my class so you know I wasn't <laughs> <laughs> Kiki just Kiki just Blasted us out on Instagram really? about Brian Banks, so oh, that was okay, cool. Awesome. Um, so I won the Nickel <laughs> Fellowship for that a while mm-hmm. back, and you know I always tell writers out there, you know, screenplay contests I discovered are a really important thing. I started I, there too. Yeah, understood. You know, I when I went to film school at USC, I got out and I was a production major, not a not mm-hmm. a writing major. Okay. And so I sort I had to kind of learn how to write after film school, and I wrote. Tons of scripts, tons of scripts while I was doing other things to make money. And that was a chunk of time where I was not making a living in this business. I was managing apartments. I was working for doctors. I was doing other stuff while, mm-hmm. I, was, while, I, was, while I was writing. And, uh, and I was also writing things at the time that I, that I wanted to write, but I was also writing things that I thought I should be writing mm. that, that felt like this, is, this, is, this would be commercial. This would be, give me you know, entree into the business. Right. And yet I had this story lurking in the back of my head mm. about a little girl competing in a, in a spelling bee. Because I had seen the National Spelling Bee on TV and thought, wow, there's a movie here. But it's not about these kids. It's, it's more about like the kids I know from down mm. near USC. Because, you know, I do a lot of work at a, mm-hmm. at a youth center down there. And I, just, I went to USC. And anyway, this, this sort of just lurked in my head for mm. literally years. Mm. And I, I would tell people, I oftentimes talk about my stories out loud a lot before I write them. I was like, hey, you got five minutes, I'm going to tell you my spelling bee story. Oh, that's cute. Right? And yeah. so, because I can gauge when I'm telling it to somebody, if, if they're paying attention to me yeah. and I'm looking at their yeah. facial expressions, if, I, I know if I've got an entertaining story. Or yes, not. yes. And so I would talk about this story for years, but I wasn't, I wasn't writing it. I also didn't know if it was my story to tell. I, I couldn't get over that as, mm-hmm. as well. Um, <laughs> Which Chris and I talk about all the time, by the way, that, 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 I mean, let's put it, I mean, you're a white guy and this was a pretty much a black story, right? But you fucking nailed it, right? And that's what I'm about, is can you, now we talked about it the other day about Brian Banks. Can you nail it? Can you get the nuance? Can you get all that? Usually what's missing is nuance, not the story, not the characters. It's just that little nuance, right, that other people have. Oh, exactly. exactly. I mean, but look, you nailed the nuance. But you nailed it. So I mean, it like, I mean, it's like the thing that, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know. Like I haven't read the script to know, but the girl. Who Sorry to interrupt you, Doug. I yeah, okay. yeah but okay. the girl who played Kenesha. Yeah. Like her dialogue. Oh my God. Her, I mean, she's great casting. Oh my God. But her dialogue yes. was so, so good. And so was her mom. Yeah. Like her mom came in and just like was <laughs> just, just throwing just throwing yeah. salt in everyone's face. Right. And I was like, that's such good writing because the thing you know is a writer and a director. Is that when the writing is so good, the actors are just channeling something. Mm-hmm. They're not creating this whole thing because you've done such a good job for them that they can just like can just bring more to it. They're not right. having to. This is a different type of work they got to do as an actor. And you know when actors come in and like take those little small roles like that and just nail it. Well, Zosha plays the accuser mm-hmm. again. When I saw the movie for the first time, another moment of like, wow, how is this going to come off? Mm-hmm. Because she could come off. <clears throat> I, 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 she could come off like a sociopath or something. I didn't yeah. know how. I mean, I, I really wanted there to be mm-hmm. some vulnerability to this character, but still you feel that this is a, a broken person in a lot right. of ways. And again, exceeded my expectations. Completely. Like, you know, I, I, I laid it out on paper and then she went 
that extra distance yeah. with it. Well, where well, that, she gave it heart. She gave it yeah. to something yeah. I told you. Yeah. Yeah. You she, ride heart like a mother. She did. I mean, look, look, there's, there's, I mean, I don't want to see the movie. Everyone who's listening yeah, to see the movie, because you'll see there's these little scenes where she's under pressure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's like finding, and she's playing everything moment to moment in a way where she's finding. There's this battle within herself, you see, mm-hmm. that is the heart that she's like, I am, like you said, I'm a damaged person too. Right. Mm-hmm. And how do I kind of like maneuver to not show my weakness, but you know the weakness is there. And right. that's all because it's on the page. I know that you get this, because you can tell when actors are, are the, that they feel excited, that they can mine it because it's there. Right. Well, also what happened is my earlier, and then we'll get back to Akilah, my right. earlier drafts were much, much, much longer so there was a... Like what were we talking about? How yeah, long? My first draft was over 150 pages, oh, right? Wow. Yeah. And you go in when you go in. Yeah, well, my first draft of Akil and the Bee was 185 pages. Are you pages. serious? Yeah, because what I do is I do not censor myself okay, good. in the All first right. draft. Right. And what but that allows you to do mm-hmm. is experience the characters in a greater totality, mm-hmm. and then you can narrow it down to the essentials. Right. So with the, the Accuser, I had a lot of stuff in there in my first passes where I was myself trying to understand her psychology and what she went through, and I had a lot of information about her. Mm-hmm. So then when we boiled it down, that stuff was sort of still subtextually there. It just wasn't all of the verbiage, right? right? And so, you know, I, I read that uh, Lady Bird, the first draft of Lady mm-hmm. Bird was like 400 pages or something wow, like that. And Jesus. Jesus. boiled it down to like Jesus, 100 pages. Jesus, Jesus. So, so like I told you at the thing, I, I do not censor myself on a first okay. draft. I lay out the structure, I lay out the pattern, and then I don't even write in screenplay format. Right. I, I just... I just just I just try to get on that creative. Mm-hmm. Sometimes screenplay part, whatever happens, okay. just go. I want to get yeah. on that creative train. That's kind of right? how you write. Right? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to stop, yeah. right? Because a movie moves. A movie mm-hmm. has momentum, and I want to be able to capture the whole flow of the piece. Yeah. And then the rewriting is the slow, meticulous wordsmithing. Right. I mean, that's where you like slow everything right. down. But the first pass, I just want it all to be there. So I had a lot more of, you know, the legal process was in my first draft. Mm-hmm. It was also much more nonlinear. Yeah. Anyway, you had more prison in there and stuff like more, that? Oh, yeah, a lot right. more prison. Right. And, uh, and then you bear it down, you, know, you boil it down to the essentials. So, so that's part of why I think that character came out is because even though she's not in it a lot, it was the key The key scenes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So going back, how, how I got this gig is I ultimately made Akeel and the Bee. I got off this hesitation about, is this my story? Should I be... I mean... You know, people say, well, like, why do you write the, the stories you write? Because a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, if you look at me and you look at the movies I write, you know, visually it doesn't sync up all the time. Mm-hmm. But I, I always say, sometimes stories pick you, right? And completely. You, <laughs> completely. And, completely. And, and you got to have to just sort of give yourself over to that. So right. with Akila, I was kind of like, going, well. Which is why it probably took years. It you took years because I was, I was, I right. was, I was doing other things. But that was the one that, you know, I'd wake up thinking about. And in the process, mm-hmm. I was putting it all together. Also, with that one, I couldn't figure out how the movie ended. I, I, and I usually don't start until I know how it ends, right? right? Most writers do. That's true. That's and true, uh, yeah. and then I figured out by looking at the rules of the spelling bee, how, I mean, most people have probably seen the film, but I don't want right. to give it away. So I... I oh, you give it away. Uh, it's way so, too... If you ain't seen that damn movie, <laughs> I know. I mean, come on. Come on. So I figured out how the movie ended, and then I wrote it in like just like a mad flurry. Like I told you, in right. the middle of the night, I was right. writing it. And the first draft was like 180 pages long. It was like the Lawrence of Arabia of spelling bee <laughs> movies. And then I and then I boiled it all down to like 130 pages. Okay. 
And I submitted that to the Nickel Fellowship because my sister read it and she knew somebody that had won the Nickel Fellowship and she said, this is the best thing you've ever written. Right. You should submit it to the Nickel Fellowship. And I said, well, that's just like a lottery that people <laughs> exactly. enter. That's, that's like a, I mean, <clears throat> so I wrote my $50 contribution to the Academy <laughs> exactly. and sent it off and uh, submitted to the Sundance thing at the same time mm -hmm. and forgot about it because I didn't think that would ever happen. And then the first thing I got back was a letter from Sundance, which was this thin envelope, mm -hmm. and it was... No. Thank you very much. Yeah, you didn't make it. I was like, okay, okay, I'm still going to try to get this movie made independently. And then I got this little thin envelope from the Academy. I go, okay, here's another rejection. Exactly. I open it up. It's like, okay, you made it past the first hurdle. Mm -hmm. You're now, I don't know what it was, was it like quarter a quarter finalist, finalist quarter or something finalist. like that. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I can sort of tell investors I was a quarter finalist in this. Maybe that'll help me get the money. <laughs> and then I kept getting these letters, and right. then lo and behold, I win the thing. Right. By the way, now they email you bitches, so just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was a while ago. They, they used to send it to you. <laughs> no, I think I got both. Okay. You get both. I was teasing. You get an email and you get a letter, because the letter is very cool to get uh, and open, right? Mm -hmm. It was like much more dramatic. It's, 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 got, dramatic. it's, it's got, got their, their letterhead. You have to break the glue seal. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, what I remember is you get the letter and then like two days later you, you get, get the, the email, email, right? Because they want you right. to have that moment. Maybe if you get a rejection, they just email you. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but I, I'll be honest, there was a, there's a bright line in my career, which is the day that I won that, the next day I get like a hundred phone calls. Right. Now, I was stubborn. People wanted to buy the script. Mm. And I said, I want to direct this. Mm. And I was going to get to how the hell did you direct this damn thing, but that's good. Well, Go okay, so here's... No, 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 keep going. Keep so, going. You're fine. so part of, well, part of the, 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 the thing I discovered is when I briefly entertained the possibility, briefly, that I might sell this... And I started having conversations with people. It became clear that the vast majority of entities that may want to buy this wanted to take the Lawrence Fishburne character and make that a white character. Wow. And of course I, they did. I didn't want that to happen <laughs> for a lot of reasons right. that we don't have, you know why. Yeah. And I said, okay, not only do I want to direct this because I feel like I know this really well at this point, and and, and just personally, I want to direct it, but I've got mm -hmm. to protect it. Right. Because if I let this go, this and, and the other things I would have sold, but if I let this go and it gets messed up, I, I won't be able to get over that. It's going to hurt you. Yeah. Right. It's, it, that's right. the thing that I say to people all the time when you're writing. Your job is to protect the story. Yeah. It real and and it protect the integrity of what you know is going to be the movie, and that's and it's a lot about the cast, about how you see how the casting is going to be, because that movie doesn't if 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 Lawrence, I mean, there's a lot of white actors who could have played that role, you know, strongly, but the, again, it goes to the nuance and his backstory, and then and, and also it goes that to this, that doesn't feel the same. It also goes to part of what the movie's about, which is a little girl from South LA who has internalized things about her community that aren't true. She's internalized things that she gets from the outside, that nothing good comes from your community. And so if nothing good comes from my community, how good am I? Right. right. So if I bring in somebody from the outside right. who doesn't look like her, who doesn't have the same experiences as her, it, it only reinforces, in my mind, her, her notion that nothing good comes from here. But if it was a, someone from her community who <laughs> did what she wants to do as a, as a kid, he had made it to the National Spelling Bee, but then got tripped up by, you know, even you see the movie, he'll explain how that happened. Right. It, it, it allows her to start to reconnect with, with where she's from because part of what the movie's about is understanding the value of who you are and where you're from. Mm -hmm. And when I pitched this ultimately and got it made, I said, that's, that's like a movie we all know. 
The Wizard of Oz. There's right. no place There's like no, home. Right. 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 And here's right. a little girl who has identified her home as being inferior and has then uh, uh, internalized this sense of inferiority. And the, the movie is actually tapping into that deeper sense mm-hmm. of not only do I belong in the spelling bee, I own it. Mm. Right. I'm the best. Right. right. And she wasn't willing to admit that. Right. And so this guy was able to get her there and I, in a way that I felt... A, a white character from the suburbs mm-hmm. was 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 going to make it more about them, right? right? And it would have been well, white saviorish. But see, I, I remember something. That I, I think I think we either talked about this or we talked about an email. But you were saying I was that scene when Fishburne first comes to see her at the spelling bee mm-hmm. and he's watching her. And you were saying there was an edit you got you changed in that to that scene to to, to there was because she felt like a little more. Uh, she felt more. I remember you, we talked about that scene. How you kind of shifted it a little well, bit. Well, no, that was a different issue uh, that I talked to you about when we first edited the film. Um, we got this note that I didn't expect, mm. which is some people were saying. Some people said I don't really like Akila. What? In this scene, yes, you don't like Akila. How could you not like her? And they said she seems like she thinks she's better than other people. Huh. And I was like, I went, and I thought, I thought my first reaction was, oh my God, I'm going to have to completely redo this. <laughs> and then I realized there were just like eight moments hmm. where, uh, and it's probably because of, you know, my direction, hmm. where she's in a spelling bee and she's so damn smart, this right. kid, right. that when she hears another kid misspell a word that she thinks is super easy, although it'd probably be hard for us. She like rolls her eyes oh, like that. See, okay. Okay. that scene. Okay. And, and I mean, like, they were private moments mm-hmm. where I thought, okay, this is showing that privately she knows she can do this. She just hasn't yeah. unleashed this on the world yet. But it looked like privately she was okay. thinking, I'm That's so much note. better. It's a great it's note. It's a great so note. So all I did was go through <clears> and take out like literally eight two second moments wow show the movie again and people are like we love this girl right <laughs> insert it's, 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 but, it's, but it's interesting you say that to me it's, it's, and, and I, I, you tell me that story and I loved it because what I but I think the difference is because because in that sequence it's like she's there it's that first spelling bee at the school and you're flashing between her and the kids and Lawrence Fishburne I think the fact that that, that if Lawrence Fishburne is white in that scene his face is not the, there's a there's a there's a moment when you're an older black man he's not that old but he's oh, he's maybe in his 50s he's playing 50s I don't know if he's 50s he's like late 40s but he's, and now, yeah. in that, in that yeah. scene and it's like since and since the older black man like that is such kind of like an absent figure mm-hmm. in the black community, to have him be there, it just kind of, it, it underscores what you're saying about, I can believe in you. And there's a sense of like, he's challenging her that's in that scene right. that you feel that you wouldn't feel if it was right. a white guy. And, right. I, and, and that's, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's a great movie right. in, in terms of covering well, those, those elements that you're wanna, talking about. I just want to bring it back to Brian Banks for a quick second, because I was... I mean, of course, I was going to see it because Sherry and all this was in it. But I was, and of course, you direct and you wrote it. I was like, but at first, I was like, God, I hope this isn't a white savior movie. Well, Doug doesn't do that though. You don't, and you, you, and I think, and I was just thinking about Brian Banks. You made it so Brian was so active, right. which he probably was in real life. Right. He was so active that Kinnear was actually the one who. He didn't save him. No, he he, 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 he saved himself. Right. Exactly. You and know that, what I mean? So so when I when I. Got the gig. The, the, the three things that I said mm-hmm. in my very first meeting is there has to be a survivor of sexual violence in this movie because that's important to me, right? right? Uh, that 
Brian has to be the agent of his own liberation, okay. right? And that everything he does is to liberate himself, and, and that the CIP, the California Innocence Project, is a tool for him to do that. Now, right. I didn't want it to be a white savior movie, and in, one of my, in my earlier drafts, there wasn't as much of Justin Brooks as there is now. Okay. And that really was because of my concern and worry that it would mm-hmm. become that. But there is a truth and there is a reality that he worked very closely with this attorney, but he had to convince him to take on his case. Because and that's cal- what's so good about yeah. this movie is, yeah. is, 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 is that, is like you said, this is not about the false accusations film. It's more about like, you're an attorney. And it's your job to know about like how I got abused and about the system, but I still got to convince you that there's something there, mm-hmm. and that is a really strong way to avoid the white savior thing. But do what you said here to to make him feel like he's saving. I mean, you know, like like he's the agent of his own liberation, which is necessary. Right. But there's never a moment where. Justin and the Innocence Project feels like they're either just a tool or they're, no. or that they're out there. I mean, they're constantly like like giving him the little thing. Hey, well, look look down this angle, or try to do this, yeah. or try to do that. I mean, like they're, they're like they're adding him the right things without taking his hand. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's just, yeah. No, don't 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 misconstrue that me saying that the California Innocence Project is a powerful, unbelievably. Right. Uh, wonderful and constructive organization Completely. that has liberated more than 30 people, some of whom have been in jail for 20, 30 right. years. An amazing organization. But what they do is get people out of prison. Right. Brian was already, already out, out of prison. So yeah. that was the that was difference. Yeah. That was and the which difference. Is, which is so he had to figure too. out how to take this incredible mechanism mm-hmm. of social justice and liberation, which is the California Innocence Project, mm-hmm. and apply it to his own unique situation, which is I took a plea, I'm out on parole now, mm-hmm. You don't deal with people like me. You're trying to get people into my situation, but I can't move forward in life mm-hmm. with this charge hanging over me and being on a on a, on a, on a, a, a sex offender list. Mm-hmm. Right? I can't get a job. I can't get a. I can't be near schools. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, that that right. moment early on when they're like, "Dude, you can't yeah, be." The it, obstacles just, just, yeah. just yeah. coming, just jumping. Yeah, yeah, I was sure. like, "What?" I think that's the thing too. That's interesting about this is that what I you know, one of the things I love about I mean, and I was working on a story like this too is the criminal justice system is the way we look at it is it's the cops, it's the courts, Mm -hmm. it's the jail. But a lot of people will tell you it's once you get out of jail, once you've paid your debt to society, it's still a yoke on your neck. Mm -hmm. And that is so rarely explored or it's it's like it's a secondary notion and stuff, but it's so critical to this story, and it's so critical to about like what happens. I mean, like, um, like Dorian Missick mm-hmm. plays such mm-hmm. a smart role in this. He's I great. Mean, it's a clever role, and, I, and I've never seen a place I've been like this because he's always playing. You know, I remember him so much from Southland and stuff like that. And it's like, and he has this kind of like a there's a. I don't, he's, he's not sadistic, but there's this kind of like well, I know you guys. Well, he plays. The I can't PO. care about you. I he, can't care I about you him. because he, he, play, yeah. he plays the pro officer, and and you know we had to humanize that character a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's good though. It's good yeah. though. But but that I mean, look, that guy 
in reality, he actually put Brian back in prison a couple times briefly, you know, mm. because there's no handbook on how to be a registered sex offender. You kind of like figure out what you're supposed to do by inadvertently breaking rules you didn't know were rules. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, I think I told you a thing. He, at one point, Brian moved mm. and he had to re register at the new location, right. but he didn't know he was supposed to de register from the previous location. Oh, right. Failed to do that and got thrown back in for seven days, right? So. Crazy. So going back to, because the Aquila ties into this, so mm-hmm. I want like, okay, to make, make the bridge here, is that when, when I got Aquila and the Bee made, mm-hmm. you know, so, so that, that, that gave me a, a, a career. Can and, I just ask you one quick question? Yeah. How long was it from the time you won Austin to the time you were? The nickel? I'm uh, oh, sorry, nickel. Uh, five years. Wow. Five okay. years, right. right. Uh, largely because I wanted to direct it. Okay. You know, had I sold it, I would have sold it, I would have gotten a little money, and it would have mm-hmm. been a very different thing. Right. Right. And, and so it was really, and, and during that five year period, I was working as a writer because of the script. I was able to get rewrite work. I you got uh, signed and all that. I, I got, I got some assignments. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't making a ton of money, but mm-hmm. I was, I was, I was a professional writer for sure. the first time. Sure. Right. And ult, and I would, everywhere I'd go, it doesn't, didn't matter like what the meeting was for. Hmm. I would always talk about Aquila. Like maybe this person can help me get it made. <laughs> right, right? Right, right. And, and people would always say the same thing. <laughs> They call me in an Aquila. They say, "This is the best script I've read this year." I was crying. Mm-hmm. It made me go home and hug my kids. Mm-hmm. I loved it. And I said, "Do you want to make it?" And they'd say, "No." <laughs> 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 and I'd say, "Why not?" And they say, "There's no mandate at I this studio it. to make a movie about a little black girl from South LA competing in a spelling bee." Well, see, <laughs> see, that, 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 okay. Now, now here's what's fascinating. I remember because I remember I was until we got to Lionsgate. Oh, okay. You got to yeah, Lionsgate, yeah. but yeah. It's, you know, you know, what I want to ask you because this this company this. This version of I don't think exists anymore. There was something interesting I noticed when I was watching the credits of that because I watched it maybe about a year ago. Um, Starbucks has got some money in there or something like that, right? They got involved in the marketing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Right. okay. And they always put products placements. You don't okay. even have, okay. you don't okay. have nothing to do. I, I'm, I'm just curious because yeah. I, yeah. I feel like. No, no. Let's give credit where credit is due. Lionsgate, Lionsgate and 2929 Entertainment. Oh, okay. they, they, they made the movie. Okay, because Starbucks it, was later on down the road. Okay, because the thing that's so. interesting is that, that's something we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. The mandates at various places, uh, you can never. Um, we are both going through it. Yeah. I wrote it, the Black Wall Street script and I can't. Everybody's like, this script is a fucking amazing. Well, you we want to do. Somebody came to me oh, with the Black Wall God. Street thing recently, so that's interesting. That, that, that's got to get made. Dude. <laughs> I'll send it to you. Okay. It. Yeah. Um, so ultimately... Never mind. I just think the, the mandates are strange because mm-hmm. there's, people can love the movie. Right. There's so many scripts I bet people love, but they're in a deal right. or at some place that just doesn't want to do it. Right. Well, that's, that's really why the, the feature film business is the way it is right now. And there's so few great movies because mm-hmm. you, you should have wiggle room within your agenda for just great stuff. Right. Like there should be like, this is what we want to do, but if something shows up and it's great, mm-hmm. we got to do that, right. right? So Lionsgate, and there were places that thought it was great. They just didn't want to take a chance on me, mm-hmm. right? And, it was, and, and look, they would say out loud to me in the room, you're white, and you can't do this. And it was only white people that said that to me. When I would meet with black executives, they didn't have an issue because right. they read the script and they go, okay, you well, get you it. Got it. Right. You get yeah. it. So let's, let's do this. And I'm like, I ain't going to play Aquila, right? I'm just going <laughs> to. <laughs> I mean, you could. <laughs> I'm just going to make sure that the integrity of her story remains intact. Right. And I'm going to surround myself with people that I'm going to put act. Look, 
Angela Bassett probably didn't say a, 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 a single line the way I wrote it, but mm. she always said the line exactly the way it was intended, right? right? right. So I gave people great latitude to make this as real as possible. Mm -hmm. I had a black production designer who mm -hmm. grew up in South LA, led, led a life just like Akilah, black costumer, black wardrobe. I, I surrounded right. myself with people that were going to imbue this with authenticity. Mm -hmm. My job was to represent the audience and make sure this felt real. Make sure that this works. And it shows. And it, and it shows. Sorry. And then when we <laughs> I get all excited. And then Lionsgate <laughs> took a chance <laughs> on me. Right. They took a chance on now, had me. Had you directed something to prove to them that you could direct? Yeah, I well, I'd gone to USC. I'd done a lot of short films, and okay. I'd done a very, very different independent film, like mm -hmm. like five years before that, that okay. I did on my credit cards. But mm -hmm. it was like a two hundred thousand dollar movie. Right. But I, enough. So that was your sample. Yeah, and I had I had short films. I had a feature, but I also I owned the damn script. <laughs> right. And if you're going to make this movie, you're going to have to make it with me. Right. And we had two false starts with Akila, mm. where oh, really? where either the the situation wasn't right, or it became clear like they ain't going to do this unless we make Doctor Larrabee white. Mm. And I had, the producers had to really trust me when we walked away mm. to say like I, that I'm not a self saboteur, that I'm not just mm -hmm. you know being stubborn, right? right? And that's a, and that's right. always an issue with the director. They mm -hmm. they go they the especially first time. I mean, also stars. They think that you're going to self sabotage because you have some some wild notions of creating art right. that, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. To me, it's like, yeah, you create art because what art translates to in movies is the emotional feel mm -hmm. of the movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what the art of is it. The rest of it is the commercial, but that's the one thing that as is used, the writer and the director, like you said, Great, great point was you said about I'm the one who's representing the audience and know if this is real. Right. right. And you so know? I had to, that's why I always say when people say, what's the most important role for the director? And people say, well, it's the visual design. That's important. It's working with the actors. That's important. But you are the only person on the set who represents the audience watching the movie because everybody it's else is very focused on their role. Mm -hmm. The actor can only focus on their character. Mm -hmm. the, uh, uh, the the DP is, is only focused on the light and the mm -hmm. camera. You have to focus on the big picture. Is this working as a movie? Mm -hmm. Am I watching this and believing it? That's the most important role for the director. Yeah, yeah. And so I knew this so well at this point that I think as I would talk to people and mm -hmm. they would get my insight and, and, and passion about this, mm -hmm. finally Lionsgate went, well, shit, he seems like he gets this. You know, let's take a flyer on this. They actually said that. Let's take a flyer on this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and and they were, they were, let me say this about Lionsgate on that movie. They were so cool with me after like my first round of dailies or whatever, it was easier to make that film than the films I made at film school. Yeah. Because in film school, you had teachers True. saying, try this, try that. Mm -hmm. They were like, they just let me do it. Hmm. And so I brought the first cut to them. And I remember Michael Burns, the VP of, of uh, uh, you know, I, well, I don't know what his role is now, but he's one of the head, the top guys at Lionsgate mm -hmm. came out of the movie theater and he said, I love this movie. I'm going to hug you. Mm, right? That's good. And I, and I said, look, I can make this better if you give me like a day of reshoots <laughs> uh, to pick up some, you know, there's like <clears> some right. inserts that I wanted. And, always. And they, always and they gave it to me. Always. Really? They let me go shoot all my inserts. They gave me like another month to edit it. Nice. They, and they also, I put all these like Motown songs in the yes. movie that were like, Money yeah. placeholders <laughs> in my mind, placeholders, and they bought them all. Oh, wow, really? they bought wow. them all. That's right. That's, see, that's great. Yeah, that's I thought, great. Yeah, I thought because I'd be like, oh man, we're gonna have to replace this. We were eventually. able to envision it the way you, you saw, saw it. it. Yeah, you know, and let's, that's important. Yeah, and and let's take the check out to keep that. Mm -hmm. Well, see, that's great because that, but that's just a testament of 
the 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 impact the movie has, the emotional impact. I mean, if everyone's telling you love the script, and then they see the movie and it and it and it's fulfilled their it's probably exceeded their expectations of what it was mm-hmm. on the page. Right. And that, that's what you want, and that's why they're writing their check. And then that leads us into how it goes into to Brian. So then one more beat on that, but when we screen the movie for the very first time over at the bridge, we oh, yeah. had an audience that I think was probably 90% African American. Oh, right? really? Yeah, it was our, it was our first. where it is. Yeah, yeah. The bridge. Right, right, right. And we got a 99 what? Uh, test score, which is like what E.T. got. Yeah, definitely. And so afterwards, we did this focus group, which was like 30 people, and half of them were black girls, mm. like Akilah's age and mm-hmm. older, a little older. And I, nobody knew I was the director. I just sat back behind mm-hmm. everybody. And the person moderating said, well, what did you think about this? And to a person, these girls said, I feel like I'm watching myself up there. Wow. Right? If this is like, Trying to get a brother teary-eyed. <laughs> no, I know. Because <laughs> you think about it, before Aquila, there was no movie on the right. big screen where a young black girl was in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like Eve's Bayou, she's in it a lot. Mm-hmm. But Aquila's in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. After that, there's Precious and Beasts yeah. of the Southern mm-hmm. Wild. And yeah. But up to Aquila, I had nothing to point to. Right. Like, and oh, so, I forget about Beasts of the Southern Wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and these girls were all saying, I feel like I'm seeing myself for the first time mm. on the big screen. Now, if they pointed at me and said, and that guy did it, I think it would be confusing. But I was just like, sit back, and I remember thinking, we're good. Mm-hmm. Okay, this, I don't care what anybody else says. If these, these kids are saying right. this, we're good. Right. So, flash forward, Brian Banks is in prison hmm. for a crime he didn't commit. They let him check out DVDs and watch them in his prison <laughs> cell. He checks out Akeel and the Bee, hmm. and he watches it. So when I meet him for the first time, after meeting with Amy and saying, Amy Bear, and saying, here's how I do the movie. She mm-hmm. said, well, I want you to meet with Brian. He's a producer on it, too. Mm-hmm. I sit down, and he says, I want you to know, first thing, I want you to know, I saw your movie, Akeel and the Bee, when I was in prison, and it gave me hope. Mm. There was n- no moment in the history of Akeel and the Bee more significant to me than that one mm. right there. Well, I mean, like, like, honestly, that's, as a filmmaker, as, because of what we do, just trying to communicate with the the larger audience that's what we want yeah we want we want someone to tell us something beyond of i love that movie or blah 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 it's like there because that's that connection that you always want your stories to do and to create with people mm-hmm. and to have someone in his situation you know when he's because he's probably what 19 20 at the time and it's like in the bullshit he's going through in his life it's like to see a movie it's interesting because this is a movie that's got that's so far afield from what you think that he would find interesting. It's about a girl and a spelling bee. It's just, but it's he, from the neighborhood. It's in the it's, neighborhood. It's, it it is, but right. you know, there's a whole thing because, but you know that in a. I'm not saying he's like this, but you know, athletes are the ones in the in the hood who give those smart people the business. True. The constantly. So he's kind of the the, <clears throat> the bully. He, he's kind of. He's, I'm not saying he's a bully, but he's the one who's making her feel uncomfortable to show her intelligence, like in the hood. And for him to be able to say that is such an interesting. Brian kind of, is like, a Brian's a deeply sensitive guy. Yeah. Deeply, he's sensitive. also the guy who read their entire dictionary several times. I know. I well, see, he, so you'll see in the film that, that he has a turn when he's in solitary confinement, mm-hmm. and he goes from being pissed off and angry right. and depressed to saying, "Okay, what can I make of myself in this situation?" Mm-hmm. And he became he began to self educate. So I think that was in that period where he was self educating. He was spending a lot of time in the library. He actually tried his first attempt at a habeas petition while he was in prison. Right. 
that's when he started watching movies as well, and Aquila was one of the movies he watched. Mm-hmm. So when we met, that gave us the beginning place to build trust, because he was looking for, who can I trust with my story, right? right? And he saw what I did with Aquila. I relayed a personal story to him about somebody I know who mm-hmm. went through something very similar to what he went through, and we were able to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And then he started telling me what he went through with further detail than I knew because I just knew what I'd seen on 60 Minutes and, mm-hmm. and, and, and the news sources. So two things. My job, starting right then, was to listen as empathically as I could and to feel everything that he... That, that was my first job, just mm-hmm. to be as, as open and, and responsive a listener as I could be. Right. And he's such a good storyteller. Because ultimately what I did is I flew out to New York where he was working for the NFL in their front offices mm-hmm. and I sat down with him for a weekend. This is after I got the gig. And I recorded him for 12 hours telling a story from birth all the way up to that moment where we were sitting there. And I've never heard anybody tell their personal story, not with that, just that amount of detail, mm-hmm. but he always told me how he was feeling at every juncture. Mm-hmm. Like this was my perception of things at age 16, 17, 18. This mm-hmm. is how I felt. This is, this is where I was going emotionally. And that's He's so, in touch with himself. That's so yeah. valuable that's to a writer yeah. because the first thing you said when you sat down mm-hmm. with me is, man, I feel emotional right yeah. now, which was 100% yeah. the goal. Yeah. Right? I mean, I couldn't even, <laughs> I had all these things in my head that I wanted to talk to you about, but I was like kind of still there. As the credits were going, I was like, shit, I got to talk to him right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I was thinking in retrospect, yeah, what I should have said is let's just sit in these emotions right. for a minute because oh, yeah, oftentimes I go to these Q&As and I'm feeling emotions. Right. And sometimes, to be honest, if there's a Q&A and I'm feeling something, mm-hmm. I will leave mm. because I don't want whatever the discussion is to step on what I'm feeling. I don't want to like yeah. like take a, a left turn oh, into right, process right, 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 when right. I'm still connected to the characters. Okay. And so I don't think we did that. I think we right. kind of kept in the right space. Yeah, yeah. But I think I just had to get it out. I yeah, just had to tell right you to how I felt because I'm, I'm in touch with myself. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I feel, number one, you nailed it. And I feel like just thinking back on Akila. You really know how to how to get heart. You really know how to get hope. You really know how to speak to those things. But like you said, doing these type of films is who you are. And that's where a lot of writers' problems are. They don't know who they are yet, so they're writing films just because they think it's cool or whatever. But I want to say this one quick thing. Okay. Here's something I've been saying for years, and I know, Chris, we've, we've, we've embraced this too. Thinking about Akilah, just for a quick second. Every I've interviewed over 300-something people, right? Not including this show and other stuff. Every person who finally made their, their who finally uh, got in, got in on a script that everybody told them not to write. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. Every <laughs> single person, because they wrote it from here. Yeah. You know, it was that one. Like I tell you, and you, like you said, you think and you believe, I believe that your Orson Welles is going to get you because you wrote it from here. You see it on the page. You know what I mean? It, it speaks to you in a, right. in a way. It's original. It's all those things. You know what I mean? And so for me, I know that's going to be, you just got to find the right person. It took them five years. It's just going to take no, you a no, minute. No, no, I get that. I mean, <clears throat> but see, you know what? I was thinking about this one time. I was talking with somebody. I didn't mean to change the subject. No, no, no. no, no, no but I was talking with someone. We were talking about um, representation one time or sending out scripts and other people say, and people, and someone said to me, oh, there's a response you get a lot from when people pass on material. Mm-hmm. They say, I didn't connect with it. Yeah. And you hear you hear that so much from like development people or things like that that you kind of like don't 
know it, it becomes just a shorthand of like that's just what they're saying to be polite to pass right. but but i think it's because they don't necessarily know how to say to you i wasn't emotionally moved from this like from the story right and i've been you know for a long time like i watch movies and find all these things about the story and the characters and the, and the critics and the, the technical stuff that i liked or didn't like about a movie and about maybe like five six maybe years ago or something like that i said you know what everything a movie has to do is it's got one thing it's got to do it's got to move you emotionally that's right and you can forgive everything else if it's moved you emotionally, yeah. and and you and you will forgive these other kind of problems if you if you've done that. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you said that. Just really quick, I'm, I told you that night. I always think about like when I go to a movie, people ask me what I write, and I went, "You feel that? That's it. Yeah. That that moment right there. That's, that's exactly it. That's, that's why that's, I write. The, the, yeah. Look, you know look, I mean? look. There's nothing. There's look. In life, you. There's moments you, that someone tells you a story, something happens to you, mm-hmm. and then you get choked up. Right. And then you feel like, oh, you know, I don't want to show the emotion right now, whatever, or whatever it is. But that's why we go to the movies. That's exactly why we have to do that. That's mm-hmm. what, because, and that's what keeps us going moment. There's always that moment you watch a movie and you almost cry mm-hmm. or you do cry, right. whatever it is, but that's the moment you're looking for. It doesn't matter what, like, like where you are and what, in what film and mm-hmm. any, and that's where, I mean, the, when the movies get tired is, or whatever these big uh, uh, franchise films is, they've lost that. Mm-hmm. And a movie like this, in Brian Banks, there's several moments in this movie where I was like, oh shit, yeah, I'm like, yeah, totally. hold on a minute now, wait, hold on. Because it's <laughs> so, because you go through life and it's like, you know, I don't know that guy's story about being in what he went through. But I've been falsely accused of stuff, mm-hmm. and and I really had to fight really, really hard to get people to believe me yep. about the way things are. And so, like, I'm able to connect to that like like very very, very quickly. Right. But I still like see how that happens, and I just those moments that all this like brings. I mean, there's that moment. I hate to say this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spoil. But there's that moment when Sherry is, you know, like like like, like yep. they're taking Brian out of the house, yeah. and Sherry's yeah. like is on the knee on her knees. That really happens. Screaming. Right. I was like, "Fuck!" Mm-hmm. See, because like, because like, I met Sherry a couple mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. She's funny to me. She's like a comedian. To, I mean, how she is as a person mm-hmm. to see her like in that, it, like in that emotional impotence and just like flailing. Mm-hmm. It was just like so strong. This new project we're trying to do for her is gonna it's, have it's all that. So too, so yeah, it's so strong. It's like you know, but that's a moment that just had me like kind of paralyzed. In a, in a, you know, so go ahead, go so ahead. so. I guess in terms of process, which I know you guys mm-hmm. talk about, <clears throat> it's identifying what those moments, like Brian talks to me for 12 hours, mm-hmm. right? And part of what I had to do is sort of like identify that moment where he said, and they dragged me out, and my mm-hmm. mother, they, had, they were having to hold her up right. because she was collapsing on the ground in abject Drag them fear and bed. despair and, right. and, and screaming, they're taking my boy away, right? right? So it's clear that's a moment, right? Oh, yeah. Right? So you sort of figure out what are the moments, right? You've you got to underline what are the moments? Where are we trying to get to? Mm-hmm. Um, the I'm Extraordinary speech mm-hmm. is like probably the big moment. And yeah. that, that was really my reflection on Brian. Every t- he would tell me this stuff. And I remember I keep saying to myself, this, this dude is extraordinary. Hmm. That he withstood all this. And that, you know, the, the, the lawyer's looking for something extraordinary. Mm-hmm. It's him, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And so how do we get to those moments? And you know them if you're feeling it when you're thinking about it. Right. Like, you guys are talking about this. We start to feel it, right? Mm-hmm. And you know it when you're writing it. 
But then for the audience to get there, it's not just the moment. It's what's the structure around it that gets you there. Mm. And that's the tricky thing about screenwriting. Right. The tricky right. thing about screenwriting, where so many people are confronted by it, is there is a, an emotional, uh, transcendent thing that you can't really put into words mm-hmm. that you're trying to achieve. And mm-hmm. it's cloaked in something that's mathematical and precise, <laughs> right. right? Right. And and un- unfortunately, I think a lot of like screenplay classes they start with the thing that's mathematical and precise, right. but oftentimes, like you 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 do a lot of acting also, don't I you? Know. I used to. You used to. Okay, twenty Plus, years ago. Okay, well, yeah. but but we've all you've, we've done acting, oh, right? Yeah. So as an actor, mm-hmm. you know that if somebody gives you a a direction like. I need you to be angry, mm-hmm. or I need you to be sad. That's a description of where you end up, right. but it's not a description of how you get there. How you get there, right? right? And oftentimes, structure is a description of a final product, mm-hmm. right? Right? True. Right? It's True. not. It's not always a description of how you get there. Even mm-hmm. though I will use structure mm-hmm. and outlines and beat sheets as a tool to get there, but it can change, right? Right? It can change. But ultimately, you know, that's a language that people understand and a framework in which you can convey an emotion. But it's not always the tool to get there. The tool to get there is a lot more chaotic. It's, it's, right? You know what? I can't remember who's... I, I want to say it's Carl Iglesias. He says that... Love, Carl. Yeah, he says that um, a movie is an emotion delivery device. Right. And it's up to you to create the device for that story. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and that's... You know, that's kind of where, like Paul Gio says this all the time, I say it all the time, and it's a great point that you brought up. It's like this, the teaching of it is just teaching the math. Mm-hmm. And the math doesn't always add up if you follow the math correctly. For some reason, if you follow the math correctly, like, like, like two plus two doesn't equal mm-hmm. four, it equals three mm-hmm. because it's, it's less than what it wants to be. But if you do the math right, and you, if, if you, if you do the math right and add you, add your heart, then two plus two equals five. And that's what you're going for. Well, also, the cl- I've never been in a, in a writing <laughs> class where they ever talked about the creative state. Mm. Like, how do you actually get into a creative headspace? Right. right? Where, where, where do you, how do you get into that place where you're actually that's watching home. a movie mm-hmm. happen in front? Well, I know it's working. I'm watching the movie and yes. I'm just trying to write it down and yes. keep up with it. Yes. I'm watching yes. it. And they don't yes. talk about that because right. in that space, there is no math. Yeah. Right. There, there, is only, totally there is only your imagination. And what happens is you start to dream while you're awake. Yes. Right. And to get there, like, you know, sometimes I will not touch the keyboard. I'm in there, I don't know, kicking a soccer ball or strumming <laughs> right, a guitar right. or, or, Going or, for a walk, or, or reading or, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, and what you're doing is you're kind of moving around the periphery mm-hmm. of that spot mm-hmm. where that, 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 those things emerge. And then when you get there, you got to capture it. Right. Yeah. And then you sit down and you start writing and writing and writing and writing. Now what structure does, it gives you a stage on mm-hmm. which you can perform, mm-hmm. right? And I'm all about structure, but like the structure of, a key, of, uh, of Brian Banks changed. I mean, my first structure was far more nonlinear, right? It was more like a dual story of what happened to Brian in the past and what he's doing now, to, and like it went side by side, and it transformed. And this is more like when Tom got involved, like he said, Let, you know, let's turn these into like more traditional flashbacks. So we lost a lot of the story in the past, but we hung on to that that was absolutely essential mm-hmm. to make story Brian's story in the present mm-hmm. as emotionally impactful as possible. Right. So my original structure changed, mm. right? But all of those key moments were there, and we had to find a way to arrange them in such a way 
that they would have that impact. So you have to be, I mean, Akil and the Bee was different. Akil and the Bee, because I thought about it for so long, when I finally sat down to write something, I wrote a six-page treatment in mm. like an hour and a half. Right. After like not writing anything for years, <laughs> I just sat down and I wrote it. And if you read that six-page treatment, it's mm. like 80% the movie. I believe it. Right? Yeah, yeah, I believe like, it too. Like dead yeah. on, because I knew, I knew it. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that one was, you know, the structure never, ever changed. Mm-hmm. There were always four spelling bees. I mean, all, you know, what changed is I just lost some stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Brian, it changed quite a bit because... Well, you also directed, so you got the vision. You right. didn't have to change the vision. That's right. Right. Yeah. I mean, maybe that dual structure thing that I came up with Brian would have worked. This mm-hmm. is now what we did. Sure. Um, and so for the structure for Brian emerged through my interaction with the research. Like, it was just, I was spending so much time mm-hmm. with the case file and with Brian's recordings, is that, which is an analytical process, but things would pop out creatively, mm-hmm. and I'd go into the treatment or the script or whatever and say, this has got to be like this. It would emerge. And I just keep capturing these mm-hmm. things until I accumulated what the story was. <laughs> I mean, there is a six, seven hour version of Brian's story and we told mm-hmm. it in, you know, a hundred minutes. Yeah. Right. And so you have to figure out what do you call out in order to get yeah. right to those. Emotional well, I think essentials. it's what you said earlier. You said it's like, it's that you got to find the essence of everything. Right. And I found, I mean, it's interesting. You talk about structure and about these, the, the classes and stuff. It's like the one thing, and I was saying earlier about like so, so there's certain things you do and it doesn't matter if, if it's contingent or not because it emotionally works. Like the movie begins with a little voiceover. I think that's the only voiceover that's in the movie. And that came sort of late in the process. But yeah. see, to me, it's fine because I was, to me, the fact that the, the voiceover is just there in that opening scene when he's watching the kids playing and, you, and that moment, I don't, it's interesting because that moment you don't necessarily know if that's him watching himself play. Yeah, yeah. yeah I past. thought it was a little him it, at first. You know, yeah. It, yeah, I, yeah. like it's with the way, it's, yeah. and I love that because yeah. that's where it's like, hey, mm-hmm. you know what? It's a note that someone would say to you, well, I need to know if this is him or if he's watching this. Right. But there's that moment of where the story is still kind of coalescing in your mind as the audience that you're, that you're letting in it. And it, feels, and it feels like storybook, but in a good way, like, hey, like, come into my story for a second. Because right. you know why? Because it's going to change your life. And I want you to, and that was something I said, okay, cool, this is what this is going to be. And, 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 and you don't do it that way. I mean, like, technically, there's all these little things that are cooking around. Like, that was one thing. I love the, you know, the flashbacks had, had a different mm-hmm. kind of touch to them, right. in terms of like the, the, the color design. But I was like, but ultimately, that's just all tech stuff that you can get lost in, mm-hmm. you know, w- but when you're watching the movie, those moments mm-hmm. that you're talking about, all these things that I'm sure that Brian just told you, that they they come home and and you can't and and, and I love your line when you said like you know and you're racing to catch up because you see the movie yeah. and the hard thing is when you're writing particularly when you because you've directed is that that you see the movie so strongly and you're like how do I get all that down on paper the right way so that people so that I'm conveying that mm-hmm. to this is someone else who's going to direct it too so that means that you've got to do a double duty on how it's on the page well that's why the, 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 there's two phases of screenwriting and this is this is why it's it's tough for a lot of people there mm-hmm. is a a, a, a creative process that is uh, unfiltered and 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 emotional and it, it's like it's like I always say it's like dreaming when you're awake right and you're trying to write all this stuff down mm-hmm. and there's nothing you have to be able to use both sides of your brain when you when you scream yeah. right because one side is that creative uh, f- you know emotional thing yeah. 
But then once that's out and you've got this unwieldy lump of clay that you've created, <laughs> then you have to put on the architect side, right. the mathematical side, right. and and put it into a language. So it's like I, it's like I've always been learning French. Like my kid's going to be taking French. I'm always, I've always been trying to learn French. I'm not that good at it, but mm -hmm. I can I can I can make myself heard. So when I like talk to my son's teachers, if there's something really urgent that I need to tell them. I, I forget about all the grammar or anything, and I just tell them in French what they need to know. And so there's the thoughts, right? Mm. There's the content of what you want to say, and then there's the rules by which you say it. Right. Yes. Right? Uh, yes. And so those are two different things, mm -hmm. right? And so learning the rules of French is an academic process. Mm -hmm. Formulating my thoughts happens outside the realm of language. Right. Right? right. The, the language is the conveyor mm -hmm. for it. So movies have a language... And, you know, like, as the audience learns the language, you can mess with that language. Right. You can play around with the language, but you're playing around with it based upon preconceptions that people have about the sure, language, sure. so they know how you're deviating. Mm -hmm. So th what I discover is that people are good, a lot of times are good at one or the other, and they have to get better at, at, at the other, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Screenplay classes often just teach the language, right? right? But there's nothing about the content. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because so, it's so deeply personal. But, you know, the few times that I've taught, I was like, you need to figure out how to get in that space, mm -hmm. how to get in that transcendent space where things are appearing to you and showing themselves to you that 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 surprise you. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and things will come to you that are that are universal yeah. in that space. And then you have to find that specific language to convey it. We got to Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Doug. This was awesome, man. Hella awesome. We got to have you back for okay. sure. For sure. sure. For your next movie, like next week. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know he's trying to hide. He got six things going on. Um, where you at, Doug? Oh, you're not even on Instagram or anything like that, are you? Or no, I stay off. I stay away from the These internet. These young kids today. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's all good. It's all good. Where are you at, Chris? Uh, on Instagram and Twitter at unauthorizedcbd. Cool. And I'm your host. Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show, Screenwriters RR, on Twitter. Any questions? I tell you, Twitter like I'm cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> any questions? Um, ScreenwritersRantRoom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to. Give us a five-star review. We need that for the metrics. Please follow us. Um, share it. Um, all that stuff like that. Go and see the movie. I was about to say go, that. Oh, but go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, go see the movie. It opens this Friday. Brian Banks. Brian Banks uh, it's put out by Bleecker Street. It should be at twelve hundred screens. Twelve hundred yeah, screens. So that's a, that's a lot of screens. That's who, it's, it's a big who stars movie. in it again? Uh, all the hot stars with yeah. Sherry Shepard and with Greg Kinnear. There you go. See this movie. Morgan Freeman's got a Morgan cameo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's fantastic. Oh, he's What's that? Like two days? He came for two days to do it. Yeah, <laughs> but he's fantastic. He's fantastic. Um, see the movie. Yeah. See the movie. Oh, and and then mm -hmm. go to our Patreon page mm -hmm. to support the show, and there'll be a link in the show notes for the for the movies you talked about and for the T-shirt. Yeah, so cool. there you guys go. Thank you. There guys. you go. Thank you again, Doug. Thank we you, appreciate man. it, buddy. I appreciate it. Myself. For sure. Thank you. All right, y'all. Um, you know how we do it on the rant room on the show. We keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what everybody. Wakanda, Wakanda forever. forever. Peace, y'all. I'ma say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Road So you wanna be a writer?
battle Well you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing The doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind And the business got me stressed In the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca Sass in class Yes that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess When you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game Than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words Are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel Say what you want Welcome to the Red Room.